Welcome to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where I share inspiring stories of ordinary people who walk out God's Word and discover radical results along the way. Welcome to Walk It Out. This is Trisha Goyer, and this is episode 21. And today, my guest is Kristen Anderson, a sweet, awesome friend of mine. Now, Kristen is a very special person to me because I wrote about her personal story in a book titled Life in Spite of Me. Now, I've only done this a couple times with a couple of people, but what that means is Kristen Kristen and I have spent a lot of time together. Hour after hour, I've asked questions, I've listened, I've asked more questions, I've listened some more, and I was able to put the pieces of her story together in a way that would fit into a book. There was so much more, even Amazing God things, that we couldn't include, but I love that I was able to weave all that God is doing in Kristen's life into life in spite of me. Kristen and I met through a mutual friend, and around the time I met Kristen, she just appeared on Oprah. Now, for years, that was a dream of mine, and I think pretty much every other author or speaker out there to see to sit on Oprah's couch and to be able to share our story and our influence with so many people. But Kristen landed there for a unique reason. And in this episode where she was on Oprah, it was about people who survived their own suicide attempts. So Kristen survived by laying down in front of a train. And as you listen today, you will see God's hand on her life then and now. But I do want to say that her story isn't an easy one to listen to. Also note that you might want to listen without small children around. Kristen tells her story simply, but the subject matter may be too much for children to listen to. Overall, suicide isn't easy to talk about. Most of us don't understand how someone can do that and how they can hurt so many people left behind. But after spending time with Kristen and hearing the dark places that she was in has helped me to understand and start thinking about suicide differently. I know now that suicide isn't easy for anyone. It's not easy for those left behind. It also isn't easy for the person considering it either. But sometimes the pain simply becomes too much to carry. Ending it all becomes a way of escaping from the pain and hearing from someone who's been there might help you understand it better too. And I know with so many suicides in the news that we all need to be more aware and, and be looking for warning signs in the people that we love. Of course, parts of the story are hard, but you will also be amazed by what God did in Kristen's life. Kristen's life and her family members' lives and the lives of countless others have been forever changed. God is a God of hope, and I hope today that you'll walk away understanding that more fully. You'll understand how we can turn to Him in any situation. Now, let me introduce you to Kristen. 
Well, I am just so blessed today to have my sweet, sweet friend, Kristen Anderson here. So Kristen, would you just start by telling uh, listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, So I am a suicide survivor. I struggle with depression and suicidal thoughts as a teenager. And um, that really led to something that completely transformed my life um, in some ways. Um, It was very, very hard, but there's a very happy ending. And so I'm excited to tell you a little bit more about my story today. Yeah. And um, Kristen and I, like I already said, have met, met years ago and God has just done so much with her life. But Kristen, I know like compared to all the the good things in your life and the light and the joy that you're experiencing now, there was a time in your life when things quite weren't as joyful. Would you just explain kind of the darkness you were in and maybe some of the events that led up to that? Yeah. As a teenager, I struggled. Um, I started to struggle with depression after losing about four of my friends. Um, they died for four different reasons. And then I lost my grandmother and it all happened within about a year and a half time. I lost one friend to suicide. I lost one friend because of a motorcycle accident. I lost one in a car accident. I lost one because of a brain tumor. And all of that was just very overwhelming for me. I'd never really dealt with death before. I didn't know how to process it. And I, and on top of losing those friends and my grandmother, I ended up getting raped and I was being stalked by two young men all within about a year and a half time during my junior and senior years of high school. And I was sort of the friend that everybody went to for help with their problems. So I kept all of my problems inside and I pretended like everything was okay. And I started to spiral down into a very deep and scary depression that I didn't quite realize I was in, but I would, my thoughts were very negative. Um, My feelings were very negative. And if people asked me how I was doing, I would say things like, I'm here, sort of like, isn't that good enough? I um, really stopped dreaming about the future and I started smoking and drinking to numb the pain that I felt on the inside. I was just in a very dark, um, desperate place. Now, did your parents know that you were in that place or did they understand the depth of it? Unfortunately, no, you know, especially because I didn't understand how bad I was doing. It was hard for me to articulate that to them. But they knew that something was wrong. They knew because I was skipping classes at school. I was skipping days of school at times. I was physically getting sick a lot in the mornings. They knew something was wrong with me, but they did not know that I'd been raped um, or how deeply my friend's deaths had affected me. I hadn't told them either of those things. And I didn't know I was depressed or suicidal. Uh, I didn't know the signs and I did not know... um, you know, how quickly you could fall into such a deep depression like that. So I um, really thought I was just, you know, fine in a lot of ways and just not fine in other ways. And they had taken me to see counselors to see what they could do to help. And and um, eventually there's a, a psychiatrist who said I was just dealing with a stress and anxiety after everything I'd been through, but nobody ever used the word depression. So I, I never really was treated for depression um, out, outside of just the stress and anxiety, um, you know. So I continued to really just try to handle things on my own. I didn't know that I could go to God for comfort, wisdom, strength, understanding. I just um, thought that he was like out, you know, far away, not concerned with the details of my life. And I needed to figure it out myself. 
So where did you find yourself? Um, I know it was right after Y2K when you had a very life-changing event. What led up to that event? And then explain to us what happened. Well, New Year's Eve of my senior year came and I, it was the year 2000, um, right before the year 2000. And I wanted to go out with my friends. My parents told me um, very kindly that I would be able to go out with my friends. They were going to let me go out even though I was grounded. Um, but they wanted me to go out, come home, go out and come home um, shortly after midnight. And that was reasonable. But I argued back and forth with them. I wanted to stay out at a friend's house. Um, sleep over and not come home until the morning. And, and they weren't agreeable to that. So when I left the house, I, I agreed with them that I would come home. But in my head, in my heart, I knew when I left that I wasn't actually going to come home that night. And I went to a friend's house um, to a party. Um, like I said, I had started smoking and drinking to just numb the pain, unfortunately. And that night I chose not to drink. Actually, I was the designated driver for my friends. I felt like I made a lot of good choices. Um, but at around midnight, I called my mom to tell me, I will tell her I wasn't coming home that night. And I hung up the phone before she could even respond. And it wasn't until the next morning around 10 o'clock when I did come home finally, and my parents were just beside themselves. They, um, had never seen me do anything like that before. None of my brothers, my brother or sister had ever done that before. And I remember my mom saying something like, Kristen, we didn't know if you were dead in a ditch somewhere or what had happened to you. They were always very loving and involved. They always knew where I was. So it was, you know, obviously very hard for them. And I um, ended up getting punished um, in two different ways. They punished me Materially, they told me that um, all the things I got for Christmas were either going to be returned to the store or given to somebody who would appreciate them, and I was going to be grounded until further notice. And that both of those things were very hard for me because as a teenager, I was very materialistic. I found a lot of my value in the clothes that I had and and the way that I looked. And my friends are sort of my world. I really think my friends are who I was living for at that point in my life. So to be grounded until further notice was really hard for me. And I um, remember after getting that those punishments, just feeling terrible, going to my room, sleeping all day long until really the next morning when we, when I woke up and it was a Sunday morning. And on Sundays in our family, we always went to church every Sunday morning. So that Sunday we went to church like always. And I walked into church and I left church just feeling exactly the same way very broken very disillusioned lost confused um my life you know no matter what happened i kept hoping and believing things would get better but it just seemed like one thing after another was happening one thing after another after another after another and it felt to me like nothing it started to feel like to me like nothing was going to get any better and i remember after we went home after we got home from church that day i talked to my mom a little bit and then she laid down to take a nap on the couch because she was tired from the night that she had waited up for me. And then my dad went to buy a new washer and dryer. So I put on some videos of my nephews at the time, just opening their Christmas presents. I thought that would cheer me up a little bit, maybe put a smile on my face because they were super cute and little at the time and just thought that would cheer me up. So as I watched the videos, I did feel a little bit better, but then my best friend called and my best friend's name was Kelly. And she had been my best friend since we were in second grade. And I um, was talking to her about everything that happened. And she wanted me to come over to her house to make gingerbread houses. And 
I knew I wasn't supposed to be going anywhere and she knew I wasn't supposed to be going anywhere, but um, Kelly and I didn't always make the best choices together. And so we decided that I couldn't get in any worse trouble if I left, even though I was grounded until further notice. I, I left and my friends picked me up down the street and I was at my friend's house for probably about three hours when another friend um, dropped me off at the end of my street to go home. They dropped me off and picked me up at the end of the street because they didn't want to get in trouble for taking me. And as I started to walk home, I just didn't feel like I had it in me. I didn't feel like I could, um, you know, and my parents, you know, were always very loving and welcoming and I could have went home. I just didn't feel like I had anything in me to deal with my life anymore is, is the best way I can describe it. I was just empty. So I walked to the pizza restaurant I've been working at. I got my paycheck. I got a pack of cigarettes. And I really just tried to waste time as best as I could until I was ready to go home. And and I was there for probably about a half an hour when I realized I really needed to go home. I didn't want to uh, worry my parents, parents any more than necessary. And so I um, started to walk home. And I just didn't feel like my legs could take me there. It was it was is such an overwhelming time in my life. So I walked to the park that I grew up playing in again, just to waste some more time. And this is a park that was just kitty corner across the street from my parents' house. And I grew up playing in that park my whole life, swinging on the swings, going down the slide, playing basketball, swimming at the beach. So as I got there, I started swinging on the swings again and swinging on the swings sort of brought me back to my childhood and all the happy childhood memories that I had playing there in that park. And I started to contrast these happy, joyful childhood memories that I had with how I was feeling now as a teenager. And I felt like no matter what I did, I couldn't go back. I couldn't go forward. No matter how hard I tried, I felt like I was just going in circles. And you were in, you were in near Chicago. So, I mean, it's dark and it's cold and you know, I'm sure, I mean, that didn't feel, I mean, I just can see, I just picture you there just feeling the oppression, feeling the depression, um, feeling, you know, the cold and the darkness around you and really coming to this place where there is no hope. Um, and was that the, like the, the deepest you'd ever been in that depression or that darkness? Before, before this life-changing event, yes. It was the darkest place I'd ever been. I, I, I had never really dealt with a, a deep dark depression like that ever in my life my my childhood before that was very carefree and joyful so it was it was very hard for me to process or understand how I could ever come out of town mm -hmm. so what decision did you make when you were sitting there and swinging and when you're at the park well, I remembered that in that small town that I grew up in, an hour north of Chicago, you're not allowed to be in the park after dark. The police patrol the park just to make sure nobody stays in the park. And uh, for safety's sake, if you are in the park, they make you go home. And the reason I was there was because I didn't want to go home. So I looked around to see where else I could go. And I realized that there was a train that was parked on the edge of the park. I figured for about three weeks, because I'd driven by and it, hadn't moved at all. So I figured if I walked over to the train and I sat on it, that would give me some more time to think because I wasn't ready to go home yet. And as I walked over to the train and I sat on it, I began to remember a thought process that I had about three months beforehand. And that was as I was grieving through my friend Brandon's death. My friend Brandon is a friend that I lost to suicide. I remember 
after losing him and when I was grieving through his death, just remember thinking I could never do that. I could never take my life, especially the way that he did that. But as I was remembering that thought process, um, three months later, I remembered that when I was thinking about it, I, I thought if, if I, I, I would, could never take my life the way that he did it. Um, if I ever did it, I would never do it the way that he did it, even though I would never do it. And I had, I had thought about several things that I heard about, read about, or seen on TV, and none of them seemed like they would necessarily work or be good enough until a train went by my parents' house. Um, and again, this was three months earlier, and it just snapped in my mind. That's one way I could never live through it. I could feel the power of the train shake our windows. I could hear the whistle blare through, blare through our house, and I just thought, there's no way I could ever live through it until three months later when I was sitting on the train that day. And, and that's when I started to consider suicide as an option or as an answer. I really hadn't thought about it um, until I was sitting on the train. I never really, really considered it. I never thought I would do it. But then I started to consider it because I just felt so hopeless. I felt so lost. I felt like I didn't know where to turn or what to do or what the answer was anymore. So I started really debating in my head I was really back and forth I would think things like there's a reason I'm here there's something I'm supposed to do here and then I would think there's no reason I'm here there's nothing I'm supposed to do here I would think it's going to get better and then I would think it's not going to get any better and I was back and forth like that for probably about three hours until a train started to come I hadn't made a decision I um I hadn't decided one way or another I was really just trying to figure out what to do, how to move forward one way or another. And then a train started to come and I hadn't made a decision still, but it was freezing cold out. It was January 2nd, it was about 8.30 at night. So I was very, very cold um, because it was the middle of winter and I had a coat and gloves on, but I was still getting colder. And I knew I had to make some sort of a decision or go somewhere. So right before the train got to me, I made the impulsive decision to lay down on the tracks. And I remember as I got down off the train I was sitting on, just trying to push down the fear and the shame that I felt on the inside because I knew this wasn't the answer. I knew this wasn't right. I knew this wasn't um, what I was supposed to be doing, but I didn't know what the right answer was. I didn't know where to turn or what to do anymore. So I clenched my fists. I turned my head in the opposite direction than where the train was coming from. And I laid down right before it got to me. Mm. And... The first thing I remember as the train started to go over me is just feeling the power of the train suck me upward, like my hair, my shoulders, the midsection of my body, my head all started to get sucked up towards the train. And then very quickly afterward, I felt something push me down and hold me down into the ground. And it was confusing. It was surprising. I had no idea what to think, but eventually the train came to a stop. And I had no idea if I was alive or dead. I had no idea really what had just happened, if this was even really happening. And I remember as I looked around to see what had just happened and if I was even alive or dead, I, I opened my eyes, I unclenched my fist, and I looked behind me to my right. And about 10 feet behind me on my right were my legs. And I knew that they were my legs because they had these bright white tennis shoes on them that I'd just gotten for Christmas. But that felt like it was just a terrible nightmare. It could not be my reality. This could not be really happening. I remember I just tried to gather myself emotionally as best as I could. 
And then I used my arms to crawl out from underneath the train. And as I looked down at my legs, I saw that my, I, I didn't really see anything where my left leg was because it had been severed so high above the knee. So I turned my attention to my right leg, which looked like it had been severed below the knee, but I'd never seen my leg like that before. I had never even seen an amputated leg before. So you talk about never, of course, seeing your legs like that before. I mean, did you still feel like you were in some sort of nightmare and the like reality hadn't hit yet? Yeah, it really hadn't hit me yet. It just still felt like this was a terrible nightmare and like this could not be happening. I could not believe that it was happening. And what happened when you put your hand down and then pulled it back up again? When I put my hand down below where it looked like my leg had been severed below my knee, I saw all of the blood and that's when the pain really hit me because when the train was going over me, I felt pain, but it was sort of a dull in the background sort of pain. And and when I saw the blood and I knew my legs were gone and I realized I was probably still alive, the pain hit me in a much more loud in your face sort of pain. I started crying harder than I'd ever cried in my life before. Um, very much the way I cried for my mom when I was a small child. I just started crying you know, harder than I ever cried, definitely in the worst pain I'd ever been in my life. And in that moment, this tremendous peace just started to cover me. And I started to hear the song Amazing Grace play over and over and over in my mind. And I thought that could only be music from heaven. I assumed that that could only be music from heaven. And I just needed to lay there hoping, praying and waiting to die. I didn't really know what it took to get there, but I was hoping that I could go there. And I remember as I was laying there resting in this tremendous peace, just hearing the song Amazing Grace play over and over in my head, almost um, very suddenly I felt someone pull my hair off my face and behind my ear. And I wasn't expecting that. I really wasn't expecting anybody to find me. But it says in the police report that the conductor said to the engineer, did you see that yellow flash? And the engineer said to the conductor, yes, I think we just hit someone. The yellow flash that they had seen was my bright yellow jacket as I laid down on the track. And they had called 911. So there were a number of firefighters and paramedics walking the track looking for me. And this was the first person to find me. It was a firefighter. And as he pulled my hair off my face and behind my ear, I just you know, turned my head towards him. And he sort of stumbled back because he wasn't even expecting me to be alive. He radioed to the other medical personnel of my location and my status, and they had wanted to flight for life me that night, but it was too cold and foggy. So they did something that they've never done since that wasn't protocol that they had never done before. And this was that they blocked all the roads and the intersections from where I was to the closest hospital in the area that could take me. And it says in the police report that it's normally a 45 minute drive, but that they got me there in eight minutes. Wow. What were you thinking of? I mean, were you awake as they drove you and as they were um, obviously trying to save your life? Yes, I was awake. I was conscious the whole time. I remember a woman in the ambulance that was just holding my hand and talking to me the whole way to the hospital. I remember um, all a whole bunch of people in the ambulance. I remember them asking me questions when I got to the hospital. They asked me my parents' names, their phone number, my sister's name, her phone number, what my birthday was. Um, they, you know, I was able to answer all of their questions. And it was really um, surreal because I remember them talking about how they eventually, they felt like they were witnessing some sort of a miracle. And I had a hard time with that because I didn't really feel like any sort of a miracle. 
but I found like I found out that I had lost eight pints of blood and scientifically you're supposed to die after you lose five and that's why they were saying that but as I got wheeled down into the operating room I asked the doctor right before we went in if he thought I was going to live or die I just really wanted to know one way or another and he told me he didn't know. And he says that he told me that because he wanted me to go into surgery that night fighting, fighting to die, fighting to live. He just wanted me to go into surgery that night fighting. And I was in surgery the whole night. They did a number of blood transfusions to replace the blood that I lost. And they tried to reattach my legs, which is something they weren't successful at doing. So when do you remember waking up after that? Or um, did you, do you remember seeing your parents there or what happened when you finally did uh, wake up after surgery? The first time I remember waking up, it was about two o'clock in the afternoon the next day. And the first time I opened my eyes, I saw my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother, and my brother-in-law all with their heads down, their arms crossed and, and their heads looking at the floor. And I remember just thinking, wow, something really bad must have just happened because I didn't remember the events from the night before right away. But my mom's eyes met with mine. She ran to the side of my bed and she said, oh, honey, we're so glad you're okay. And the memories started to flood back. And I said, mom, they cut my clothes and they cut my coat. And she said, oh, honey, we can get you new ones. We're just glad you're okay. And I remember just sort of listening to that and falling back into the sleep that I was in um, before opening my eyes. I was on a lot of medication. And, and the next thing I remember was being woken up to be told what my injuries were. And I really was not ready for that. The doctor came in and said hello. And I smiled, but I did not say hi back to him. And he told me, as I just stared out the window, that my left leg was severed well above the knee. My right leg was severed directly below the knee, but that I might be able to walk with the use of prosthetic legs one day. So Kristen, I just can't imagine what you must have been thinking. And it must have been so hard to think that this was really reality and you'd face so much darkness and depression. And then here's a whole new level. So when did you first realize that this was really happening and that you didn't have legs? The next time I woke up in the hospital after they had told me what my diagnosis was, I remember just waking up feeling sort of gross and icky. I asked my mom to call my best friend, Kelly, hoping that she could just help me get cleaned up a little bit, make me feel a little bit better. So she got Kelly on the phone. And when Kelly got on the phone with me, the first thing that she asked me was how I was doing. And I felt like I had to give her some sort of an answer. So I looked down at my legs to see if they were still gone. And as I looked down, even with a sheet above my legs, I could see that they were still mostly gone. And I just said to her, I'm okay, but my legs are cut off. And as I said that to her, tears just started to stream down my face because that's the moment that became real to me. That's when I realized my legs were really gone. They probably weren't coming back. This probably was my real life. And, and I was going to have to figure that out somehow. So, you know, before you had, I mean, all these things that had happened to you um, and even to the point where, you know, you tried to commit suicide because it was just so much of a burden to bear. How did you handle that with, you know, it's not like all those past things um, were taken away overnight, but now you had this new problem of um, trying to face life without your legs and and dealing with physical therapy and more surgeries. When did you find hope that you could go on after you faced all this heartache? Well, it took me a while. It really, really took me a while. It was quite a process adjusting to my new life, but I had a lot of friends and family who just surrounded me and loved on me like crazy. And one of the things 
starting from when I was in the hospital that they told me over and over was Kristen, God kept you here for a reason. There's something you're supposed to do here. Kristen, God kept you here for a reason. There's something you're supposed to do here. I heard it so much that I almost got sick of it because I didn't know why I was here or what I was supposed to do here. And a lot of people were worried if I didn't want to live my life with my legs, how was I going to want to live my life without my legs? And that was a very real problem for me. But I started to seek God um, little by little, just trying to find answers like, why am I still here? I also wanted to know if I would have died, would I have went to heaven or hell? Because everybody told me that it was a miracle that I survived. So I wanted to know if I would have been in heaven or hell. And I started to pray about it. And not long after, a couple came to have dinner with our family that my sister was friends with. And I found out that the husband of this couple was in seminary to be a pastor. So I figured that he would know the Bible more than anybody else that I knew. And I asked him if he thought I would have went to heaven or hell if I died. And very lovingly, he just told me that every single one of us are created to be in a personal an intimate relationship with God, but because of our sin and because of the wrong things that we've done, we are separated from him, both in our relationship with him and eternally. And that's why Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can be put back into a right relationship with God and so that we can spend eternity in heaven with him. But we have to choose to accept Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, and we have to choose to let him lead our lives. And when he told me that, I just felt like what he was telling me was something more true than I'd ever heard in my life before. But I didn't want to just take his word for it. So I asked him to show me it in the Bible. And he showed me a lot of different verses. But the verse that stood out to me the most was John 14, 6. And that's where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And I just felt after reading that, like Jesus could not have been more clear. He said he was the way, the truth, and the life. I knew that I didn't have any type of a personal relationship with him or with God. I knew that I had never made any type of decision or choice to accept Jesus personally for the forgiveness of my sins. And I knew that I wasn't letting him lead my life. I also felt like something very special and important and significant was missing from my life. So sitting on the floor in my parents' dining room after um, this man and his wife left, I just prayed the most simple little prayer. I asked God to forgive me for everything I had ever done wrong. And I asked him to give me a new life. And I know that that was the night that I became a Christian. I realized that night that my life wasn't mine to take, that God alone can give and take life. And as I went to sleep that night, I just felt a little bit different. I felt like I didn't need to worry so much about my life anymore. It was a very huge turning point in my life. And it's interesting because I would have told you my whole life that I was a Christian. I, my Everyone in my family would have told you that they were Christians as well. But I didn't really know the Lord. I did not have a relationship with him. I didn't find hope or peace or joy or a love for life through him. I just was doing it all on my own, very, very apart from him. And so when I became a Christian, things got better, but it didn't all get better overnight. Yeah. And I love how, because, you know, working on your story, and I think that's such a real part because people think that, you know, all of a sudden you became a Christian and then everything in life is good and you have hope and joy and all your problems are fixed. But that really isn't what happened in anyone's life. And I know you had struggles for a long time, too. Yeah, the first three years after my attempt and after becoming a Christian, I still struggled with suicidal thoughts and depression. I was often um, in the psych ward on the anniversary of my suicide attempt because I just 
it was just so much for me to, to process and, and handle. I remember um, going to counseling also very, very often, which was actually very, very good for me. But I was in counseling for three years, um, just trying to process everything that had happened before, how I should feel about myself, about what happened before, about the people involved, about the future. It was just uh, a difficult time for me. I was in and out of relationships. I was in and out of jobs. I was in and out of college. I just um, had a very, very hard time. So when did things change where you really felt like um, you could cling to God and depend on him um, and really move forward in that relationship with him? Well, there was a woman that I met at the community college that I was going to who just came up to me and shared her story with me one night in the parking lot. And she shined with more peace and more joy and more love for life than anybody I'd ever met before. And I remember after talking to her and hearing her story, just going home and saying to God, I want to know you the way that lady knows you. And what I felt him tell me was, Kristen, you have to let me be your best friend. At that point in my life, I had learned to go to my doctors, my friends, my parents, my counselors for help with my problems, but I really had not learned how to run to God, how to, how to lean on him. And so I realized that 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 day, that night, that he created me and he knew me better than anyone else in this world. He knew my problems and the answers to them better than anyone else else in this world. So really, why wouldn't I go to him for help with my problems? Why wouldn't I let him be my best friend? And I started to walk towards him in that best friend-like relationship and so much more started to change. I started to experience the peace and the joy and the love for life that I always wanted but had never had before. I had begun going to a new church where um, there were just so many people learning how to love God and how to know him and how to serve him and do life with him. And and I just took off spiritually. I, I was able to get off of all the antidepressants and pain meds that my doctors told me I would have to take for the rest of my life. And I um, eventually decided to get baptized. And at my baptism, my mom became a Christian and she started bringing my dad to church with him and he became a Christian and he started bringing my brother to church with him and he became a Christian. So our whole family was starting to become transformed and it was a very, very redemptive time for us because we started talking about things we'd never talked about before. We started praying together, which we had never really done before. We started listening to some of the same music, some of the reading, some of the same books. It was just a very, very special time for our family as we all really gave our lives to the Lord. And I just love how God used, you know, definitely this very hard time to bring your whole family to him. And I know God has continued to use you to share your story with so many people. Talk about um, just how you felt called to just go out and share your story. Well, the very first time I got asked to share my story, I was extremely hesitant. I, I didn't ever think I would talk about it publicly, but I, in the end, after praying about it, felt like if, if the teenagers listening in the youth group where I was invited to share my story, if, if it even just one of them to learn from my mistakes and realize how big and real and faithful God is before making any drastic choice like I did, then it was worth it. And so I shared my story as openly and vulnerably as I could. And when I was done, almost every one of the teenagers came up to me and told me that they struggled with suicidal thoughts or depression, or they knew somebody who did. And that's when it became became more important to me to start to share my story. Um, if that was ever asked again, I started just to have a stirring in my heart to help people like that because they were just like me. And it wasn't long after when I got asked to share my story at another youth group, 
about an hour from where I live. And I, I went there thinking I would just share it one more time and hopefully it would help maybe one more person. And it was um, an amazing experience because I saw God use my story in ways that I never thought he would. I saw people, you know, really, really giving their lives to him after hearing my story, choosing him over sin, over suicide, over, um, you know, everything that they were used to. And, and it was amazing because in many ways it, it made sense to me that God would use what he did in my life to help me, but I never, ever, ever expect him to use what he did in my life to help other people, but he was doing that more and more. And, and it just kind of moved forward from there. I got asked, you know, regularly to share my story all over um, the country. And, and eventually I, as I was praying um, about why God kept me here and what he wanted me to do here, I felt mostly like he kept me here so that I could know him in this very real and personal way. But secondarily, I felt like the reason he kept me here was so that I could help other people come to know him in this very real and personal way. So I started going to the, a Bible college that was um, close to my parents' house. Um, and that was a really, really special time in my life just because I had so many amazing people pouring into my life. And while I was in Bible college, I actually got asked to share my story on the Oprah show. And I know you've got, you've got some uh, messages after the show of people who were planning to commit suicide that changed their minds. Yeah, there was one email in particular that we got from a young man who was planning to take his life um, that day that my story aired on the Oprah show. And I remember after going through all the emails that it came in through our Reaching New Ministries website, there was just one that stood out to me, like in bold print. It was all in capital letters in the subject line. It said, you saved my life. And I remember just thinking like, wow, you know, like, what is this guy? What What is this story? And as I read his story, he was planning to take his life that day. He was just waiting for his mom to leave for work. And after she left for work, he walked into the living room with a gun in his hand. And as he went to turn the TV off, I was on the TV talking about how I had tried to take my life, how I'd lost my legs, how I'd survived and found so much hope and joy and a love for life through Christ. And he said he got on his knees. He prayed to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And he is now a youth pastor leading other people to the Lord. Mm. You know, one of my favorite things to think about is someday when we are in eternity, just how we're going to be able to go to people and say, you know, your story mattered and your story made a difference. And I think that's just going to be so amazing because, um, you know, I'm sure there's going to be other people that heard you on Oprah, or heard you on the radio or, um, you know, heard you at a speaking event and you just never know the ripple effect. And I just love how you are willing to share your story and, and just how, hard things were, but also the joy in Christ. And I love, um, you know, just spending time with you and everywhere we go, you just have the biggest smile on your face and, and people are just so curious, like, why are you so happy? How can you be so joyful um, when you've lost your legs? What do you tell people when they ask you that and when they approach you? You know, I mean, I tell them it all comes down to my relationship with God. Like he is my reason. He is my everything. Um, he has really, really transformed my heart and my life, the way that I feel about myself, the way that I see the world, the way that I approach my you know, problems in my life. And um, I just, you know, I just see things so differently now. And I, and I know that how valuable I am to him, that makes a huge difference. I don't, I, I, I know that as long as I have air in my lungs, there's a reason for me to be here. And I really believe that for everyone. I used to think that God only had plans for special people. And now I believe that he has special plans for every single one of us. And so 
I just, um, I just always want, want to tell people about the difference that he's made in my life if they want to know where my joy comes from, because there's no other answer that's the only, that's, that's what's changed everything for me. I love that so much. So to what has God done, not only with your ministry, but I know he's given you an amazing family too. And I love, um, we're connected online and I just love seeing photos of your beautiful family. I can't wait to, to meet them all someday, but tell us a little bit about what he's done with your family. Well, I met this very special Christian man who loves me more like Christ than anybody I have ever met before. And when we got married, he brought two really, really special children I was already in love with into my life um, that I that I get to be a mom to. And together we have had three more children. Um, and it's just been an unbelievable time in my life because I never, um, you know, I never knew how how amazing it would be to be a mom. I always wanted to be a mom and a wife and have children, but I did not um, know, you know, how, how special it would be. And so it's been, it's been awesome and amazing. And, and one of the things that we've done um, with each of the children is we've, with a different part of their name, we've named them in honor of God's grace. Um, because I mean, like the best way I've ever had grace described to me is, is when God has favor on us and we don't even deserve it. And I definitely think that that is what God has done with me. He's given me grace and favor um, when I did not deserve it by giving me a second chance at my life. And, and I really, I think the title that we have for our book is the most fitting because God has really given me life physically, spiritually, and emotionally all in spite of my sin, in spite of my mistakes. And I'm so, so, so thankful to still be here. Yeah. And I just think it's such a beautiful, I mean, one of the, my favorite parts of your story, there's so many just amazing things that God's done, but you know, here you are, you find that you've survived the suicide attempt and to have God's plain, you know, God's spirit, I guess, playing amazing grace over you and that song going in your mind, it just shows that he had so much in store for you and that his grace was there. And I think it's so important, you know, so many times we think we've, we've made mistakes and um, we've chosen the wrong way. And I know I've made huge mistakes in my life, but God's grace is there for all of us. So what hope and what encouragement do you have? Maybe someone who's struggling and maybe they, they struggle with depression. Um, what message would you have for them today about um, what God has done or what God can do for them too? If you are struggling today, I just want you to know that there is a reason that you are here too. You are not here by mistake. You are not an accident and you can get through this. I want to encourage you not to ever give up no matter what is going on in your life. Look for help, seek help and keep asking for help until you get the help that you need. Also, I encourage you to lean into God harder than you ever had before. Seek him more than you ever have before. Let him be your everything. Let him be your all. He really is the answer and the truth um, in the Bible will transform your life. Seek him, spend time with him, lean on him. Also, I encourage you to find a Christian counselor. Um, and if you don't find the right one the first time, keep trying because um, there's somebody who who out there is right to help you and, and more than one person, I believe. So I encourage you to open up to a counselor, open up to your friends and family. A lot of times they will not know how bad you maybe are doing. And a lot of people have struggled in many of the same ways. So I encourage people to talk to one another more than they're used to. And also if there's anything um, that you maybe are punishing yourself for, please um, learn 
and try to start forgiving yourself. This was one of the biggest things that was very difficult for me. In the Bible, it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I realized even after taking, trying to take my own life and losing my legs, that I, I needed to stop punishing myself for what I had done. God had forgiven me. There was no reason for me not to forgive myself. And by not forgiving ourselves, uh, we really hold ourselves back from all the things that God has for us. So I just encourage you with all of those things and to just know that there is so much hope for you. God really has special plans for every single one of us. Yeah. And I love how you talk about that. It didn't happen overnight. Um, that it was a journey of going to counselor for a while and, you know, talking to people and, um, you know, going to church and, and finding the right community to really um, encourage you in your faith and the right friends. Because so many times, you know, I've seen with myself and with others that, you know, you think, okay, I should be fixed now. Like I went to one Bible study or I went to the counselor five times and that it is a journey and that's okay. Like God is willing to be with us every step of the way. And he doesn't expect us to like have everything change overnight, that he is so patient and gracious with us. Yeah. And I think we learn the most on those journeys in those dark times of our life. Those are the times that have grown me the most into the person that I am. And so in some ways, now looking back, I'm grateful for those experiences. So it's hard in the moment to, to go through to go through it, but it really is worth it. It is so worth it. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time away from your little ones and your puppy that definitely <laughs> wants to be by your side. Mm-hmm. So we just go give him a big hug for all of us because obviously he wants some attention right now. But um, I just wanted to say too, just, I just appreciate your friendship so much and it's such a joy to know you. And I'm so glad that God brought you into my life because you've brought so much encouragement to me too. Same to you, Trisha. Thank you so, so much. It was great talking to you today. Yes, and I can't wait to see you in person yes, soon, someday. Do I don't know no, when. We, <laughs> we got to do it. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, what did you think of that? I am just so thankful for Kristen. I'm thankful for all those years ago when God used that chance encounter, and that is in quotes, chance encounter, um, with our friend Margaret to connect me with Kristen. I just love how God will use those times when we think that we're helping someone else out also to just encourage us. I know so many times when I face dark places, I just think of Kristen and the things that I face have just been so small in comparison to what she's faced, but she finds the joy and the hope in God in amazing ways. And she's just a dear friend and so encouraging for me. I'm thankful for all she's doing for those who are in dark places that she continues to reach out. This was 18 years ago and she's continuing to reach out to other people and to share her hope and share her story. Mostly, I'm just thankful for her friendship, that she has um, just been a cheerleader for me too, just as I'm a cheerleader for her. And that's really what God does. As Christians, we are all part of the body and we can help and support each other in amazing ways. And I just love that God brought her into my life. Now, as Kristen mentioned, you can find out more about her story and help for those who are facing depression or considering suicide by going to reachingyou.org. Also, today's Walk It Out scripture is Psalm 41 through 3. I patiently wait for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. 
Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Now, I love these verses, and these are the ones that I think of when I think about Kristen. God heard the cry of her heart and later the cry of her lips. Even though she no longer has legs, he has given her a firm place to stand, and he is her foundation. He has put a song of thankfulness in her lips. She may not sing, sing it, but she does speak it, and Kristen diligently shares her story with anyone who will listen. Now, I don't know about you, but I am encouraged today to share my story even my hard, hard stories. There are so many people out there that need hope. They need to know our struggles and they need to know that we can all find hope in Jesus. If you're crying out with a great need today, I just hope that, you, that you'll be encouraged by what Kristen said and that you will turn to Jesus. Also, ask him to be your firm foundation. He wants to be that for you. God wants to be your everything. He wants to be your best friend, just like Kristen mentioned. He wants to transform your life in ways that you can't even imagine. So here is a prayer for all of us. Now, Lord, there are so many things in this life that burden us. There are people who hurt us. I know I've been hurt many times. There are abandonment issues where we feel like we're being left behind. There are losses that we don't know how to handle. There are worries that plague our mind and that hound us. There are fears that feel like two-ton bricks on our chest, and we sometimes can't feel like we can even breathe. But Lord, today I pray that those who are listening will turn to you. I pray that I will turn to you, that Kristen will continue to turn to you, Lord, for you are our hope. I pray that if anyone listening knows someone who needs that hope that is maybe uh, facing oppression or considering suicide, that we will step out, that we will reach out just like the name of Kristen's organization, Reaching You, that someone will know that there is someone reaching out to them. May our lives never be too busy, Lord, to share your love with another person. I also pray a continued blessing over Kristen as she cares for her family and continues to travel and share her story. And I pray that she will just um, be able to touch lives uh, that no one else may touch through her story, Lord. I just thank you today for the opportunity to share with listeners and that they may be blessed and may turn to you with whatever they're facing today. So I thank you, friend, for tuning in to Walk It Out today. As always, you can find out more information about me on my website, which is trishagoyer.com, and know that you can find me on any social media sites like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram under Trisha Goyer. Finally, friends, I'd really appreciate it if you tell your friends about this podcast and encourage them to listen. Um, I just love going and, and seeing the statistics and seeing that people are listening and that they're spreading the news, which is why um, this is so important to me to share hope, share truth, share all that God's doing in the lives of um, others. And, you know, I have a busy life. I have lots of kids, so it does take time to do this. But I just love being able to connect with others and help them get the word out of what God is doing in their lives and how God is using them. As you know, this podcast is sponsored by my book, which is Walk It Out, The Radical Results of Living God's Word One Step at a Time. It's published by David C. Cook Publishers, which is amazing publishers to go check out their website, see some of their new resources, and um, it's a nonprofit publisher, so they are out there spreading the good news in over 100 countries, so all the proceeds from these books that they publish go to help spread the word in other countries. But thank you, friend, for tuning in. Thank you for supporting me, for supporting my family, supporting my friends like Kristen. I pray 
that you will be blessed as you turn to God and you walk out his truth in your everyday life. Today's podcast was edited and produced by Author Media. Opening and closing music is from the song Wide Open Space by Life Worship, used with permission from Integrity Music.